welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, I'm going to uh, start our series like I promised, because it would be wrong to break my promise two weeks in a row. So it's great that so many could turn out this morning, and I really do trust that this series will do your heart good. I've entitled this series Identity because I want to look in and around that whole subject. But this week I want to look at something that I've called identity theft. Identity theft. Identity theft is one of the fastest growing crimes in the world today. It's where people steal your personal information and use it to access your finances. A statistic I saw, which was quite alarming, said that one in every four rubbish bins contain important personal information. Things like old bank bank statements and credit card information, etc. can be used for someone to steal your identity and ultimately steal your possessions. I believe that being true... And just let me, a show of hands, who's heard of identity theft before? You're aware of that? Yep, great. I believe that this is not just a problem for our possessions, but it's a problem for people in general. I believe that people, by and large, are living without a real sense of who they are. They are having an identity crisis because of an identity theft that has taken place. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief, or the identity thief, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, speaking of Jesus, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus promised that we would have life, and life abundant, life with a capital L, life to the max, life to the full. He didn't say that we would come that might have peace. He didn't say that it might come that we might have wealth. He didn't say that we might have prosperity. He said that we might have life. And I do not believe that you can embrace this life that Jesus promised while we are confused about who we really are. I believe one of the major strategies of the devil is this. He wants to confuse you in and around who you really are. He wants you to be unsure about your true self. He wants you to be unsure about who you really and truly are. He comes to kill. He comes to steal. He comes to destroy. You know, it never ceases to amaze me that um, the, of the level of demonic activity that was in and around the time of the disciples. And yet the world 2,000 years later has just as many, uh, sorry, has so many more people in the world today, but there's not more demons. And yet there seems to be just as many problems. And I believe that's because the devil has put certain schemes in place. He's not busy running around trying to scare everyone. He's actually put things in place in order to confuse a growing population. And I believe one of the greatest things he's done is rob people of their identity, rob people of who they really are. This series on identity is all about helping us find out who we are. 
so that we are not defined by our labels, titles, roles that we are currently in. That we could stay free from the labels that have forced us into a role that doesn't fit us. Do you remember as kids growing up, you'd have that little ball that was red on one side, blue on the other, and it had all shapes cut into it? And then you had those little yellow pieces. And uh, as a young guy growing up, I, I mean, again, I think this is where we let ourselves down as men because the men seemed to kind of, the girls mastered that a lot easier. It took men to about year eight before we mastered that thing. But basically, there were certain shapes to fit into certain holes. And if you didn't have the right shape lining up the right hole, you'd be there for hours wasting time. And if you don't know who you are, you are going to waste your life. And that's what's happening. And you'll get bored and you'll kid yourself that you're something that you're not. Trying to chase something that God has not called you to be a part of. What makes you, you? That's what this series is all about. Helping us find out what makes us, us. You are unique. We know that there are no two fingerprints the same. You are unique. And we do not need to live copycat lifestyles in order to find out our identity. We are called to stand out and not blend in. And so today, I want to look at four areas that rob us of our true self. And I want to use the story of Jacob to highlight those four areas. If you would turn with me to Genesis, which is the first book in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 25, it's a story of a man and a woman that decided to have a family and they were having twins. It says in verse 24, when her time had come to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. The first came out reddish. Any redheads here? As if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. They named him Esau, which means hairy. Any hairy ones here? Mick Roberts. It's interesting to know, Mick, who stood up here, he actually had a shave this morning and he's already got a full beard, but anyway. His brother followed, his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel. They named him Jacob, which means heel. Esau was 65 years old when they were, uh, 60 years old when they were born. The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man, preferring life indoors among the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. I want to draw some things out of this story today that will hopefully help you in finding out who you really are. There are four things I believe the devil has put in place to hinder the growth curve God wants us to experience in and around who we really are. And the first one is simply this, relationships. Now, what you're going to notice about all these things is there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. It's what we do with them. The Bible says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So he'll take something good and distort it into something bad. 
So relationships are wonderful, and you would have heard me talk about relationships many times before. But I tell you, there's something insidious about some relationships, and it's stopping us finding out who we really are. Jacob lived a life of his mother's choosing. She schemed, plotted, and manipulated to make certain things happen for Jacob. And you can, I would encourage you to go home and read this story in full. I don't have time to go into it all. But what you'll find is that Jacob was a certain man, but Rebecca, his mother, tried to make him into something that he actually wasn't. And she did all she could to make him into this guy that he actually wasn't meant to be. And so my question to Jacob and my question to you is this, whose life are you living Jacob was living the life of his mother's choosing. Maybe some of you are living the life of somebody else's choosing. Maybe it's been a direct result of their manipulation. Maybe it's been a result of your choices because you've sought their approval like never before. But it is a question we have to ask ourselves as we get into this series on and in and around identity. Whose life are you living? Jacob was living his mother's life. What possesses a man to allow this to happen? I believe it comes down to one thing, that he was an approval junkie. And there's a lot of approval junkies in this world today. We have an an unhealthy desire to be approved of. We have an unhealthy desire to be accepted And we will do just about anything to be accepted. You know, there are some girls that will allow themselves to be gang raped just to belong to a group of people because they would rather be part of that than than nothing at all. People go to extreme lengths just to be part of something, just to belong to something. Just to get the acceptance and the approval from somebody. And I think it's an indictment on the church that we have not been able to embrace people, that we've isolated people, that we've ostracized people because their hair was not short enough, because they hadn't got their life together and they were still drinking or they were still smoking. And so we said, you can't belong until you clean yourself up. We live in a world where people want to belong. That being true, we have an incredible opportunity to open our heart, to open our doors, and to let people in. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is this, that Jesus came to the world to save sinners, not saints. He came for the broken. He came for the hurting. He came for the drug addict. He came for the prostitute. He came for the rich man who can't seem to make ends meet. He's got everything, but he's got nothing. That's who Jesus came for. And so there's this thing in and around wanting to know who we are and they find their identity in belonging. You know, Jesus found his identity, his acceptance and his approval from God. It's interesting, on the day that he was baptized in water, as he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven came and said this, this is my son. This is God the Father speaking to Jesus the Son. He said, this is my son in whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. This is my son, 
identity, whom I love, acceptance, and whom I'm well pleased, approval. And here's the great thing. Jesus had not done, done one miracle at that time. In other words, God the Father's approval and acceptance of his son was not based upon performance, but based wholly and solely around who he was. And Jesus knew that, and as a result, he was free from the manipulation of any man. You ever read the story of Jesus and you think, man, why didn't Jesus just cave in? But he just seemed to defy the religious people all the time because he was not dependent on what people thought of him. He was free from the manipulation of men. Many today are looking for, uh, to people for what only God can give them. We see that in marriage. One of the most nauseating comments about marriage is this, you complete me. Do you know the pressure that puts on a person to be something they can never be? No person can complete you. A person cannot be to you what only God can be to you. And that's why you can be married and you can have money, you can have everything, but unless you're connected to God, there's always going to feel like there's something missing in your life. And no marriage or no divorce. Some people are looking to get divorced. They think, my life will be better without her or without him. Others are saying, if only I was married, if only I was with somebody. But these things in and of themselves aren't where the answer is. We must make God our number one companion. And only then will other relationships find their place in your life. See, I love my wife, and I think you know that. Every opportunity I get to honor her, I do. But my wife did not die for me and ultimately save me. I love her. But she can't be to me what only Jesus can be to me. And when I put that pressure on her, it brings pressure in the marriage. And it's an unfair pressure on her, and it's an unfair pressure on marriage. And so in order for us to have right relationships, we've got to first come in contact with God. Otherwise, we're not going to know how to handle those relationships. And those relationships can be the very thing that rob us of who we really are. It's only when you've been with Him that we're ready to be with people. The first identity thief is that of relationships. I'm just throwing these thoughts out there today by way of introduction. Every one of these is a series in and of itself. Identity theft, number one, relationships. Number two, appearance. Jacob became like Esau to get Esau's blessing. In Genesis 27, verse 15, it says, Rebekah took some of the best clothes of Esau, his brother, her oldest son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. And then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she had made. He went to her father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game that, I, uh, that I've made for you, that you may give me your blessing." Jacob means deceiver. Basically, Rebecca had overheard 
Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca's husband, talking to the oldest firstborn son to go out to get some game, bring it back, and that he would release a blessing over the meal. Rebecca overheard that conversation, and because she loved Jacob more, she tried to deceive her husband so that Jacob would get the blessing, not the oldest son. And so what she did, she put on, she put on uh, Jacob Esau's clothes, and she pretended to make him hairy. She basically turned him into the oldest son. The result was, when Jacob stood before his father, and his father said, is that you, my firstborn son? Jacob had an identity crisis. Said, yes, it is. All of a sudden, he's denying who he really is and saying, actually, I'm somebody I'm not. And I can't help but feel that there are many of us that lose who we are as we try to dress like someone, wear our hair like someone, become like someone and lose who we really are. We try and keep up with all the fashions and all the trends. And we spend a lot of money thinking we'll be feeling just a little bit better about ourselves. If only we could get those pair of shoes. If only we could get that haircut. If only, if only, if only. And we ultimately mess out who we are. God wants us to be ourselves, not somebody else. And unfortunately in this world we have too many copycats. People that dress the same. Now, can I just say something about fashion? I love fashion. I love clothes. It's actually a bit of a weakness. I, you know, if, if money was no, I mean, I, I would I'd just have a new outfit. every. I, I like that. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But what I want you to know about fashion is this, that not everything that's in suits you. And there's nothing sadder for me to see some of our, in particular, young ladies trying to squeeze into a pair of jeans that they were not made for. Just to be in. That desire to belong, that desire to be in is so great, it goes against common sense. And so we, we literally squeeze into some jeans that we should never be wearing, that aren't flattering, that look bad, and we kid ourselves, I look awesome, because we're trying to be somebody else. We're different shapes, we're different sizes. Certain things will look good on us, certain things won't look good on us. It'll be a wonderful day when we are secure enough in who we are to say, this is what I'm wearing because this is what suits me. It'll be a wonderful day. But while we're still caught up in the area of appearance and how I look, you know, we're told to believe that if, unless you buy jeans that are worth X amount of dollars, you know what, there's some, there's some very cheap jeans out there that can look better than some of those very, very expensive jeans. Your identity and security won't come in the price of your jeans. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, 
which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, some of the Puritans grabbed this and said, women should not wear makeup. My take is, some women better wear makeup. <laughs> it would be a sin for some women not to wear makeup. I mean, it just would. I don't believe that this scripture is saying makeup is of the devil and, and, and certain clothes. I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's talking about priorities. First things first. Have a pure heart first. Have a heart that loves God first. And then out of that, dress according to personality and dress according to who you are. We don't want to take the the Puritan line where it says you're not allowed to do this, then we're back to religion of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. But really the issue is one of priorities. I'm all for bettering yourself. And if you want to lose some weight, I think that's a good goal. But again, it's got to be on a healthy foundation as to why you would do that. If you want to lose weight to better yourself and to be healthier so that you might live longer and be more influential and more effective, that's a good thing. But if you want to lose weight just to stop being teased and just to belong to a certain group of people, that's not a good thing. And so again, why we do what we do depends on the foundation. And so I would encourage anyone who wants to lose weight for the right reason. But if you want to lose weight just to fit into a certain group of people and you'll do anything like stick your fingers down your throat to throw up what you've just eaten. That's not a good thing. But to lose weight a healthy way for healthy reasons is a great thing. Does that make sense? And so appearance can be something that robs us of who we are. Thirdly, success. Jacob tried to do what his brother did. We already know from the story that we've read that Jacob was an outdoorsman, whereas Jacob was a stay-at-home kind of guy. Sorry, Esau was an outdoorsman, and Jacob was an indoorsy kind of guy. And yet, they schemed up this thing that Jacob could present to his father as if he was the hunter. Up until that point, Jacob had never hunted for anything. But he presents to his father in such a way as if he's the man. In Genesis 27 verse 20, it says, Isaac asked his son, How did you find your game so quickly, my son? And Jacob, pretending to be Esau, answered, The Lord your God gave me success. We are so success-driven, we will do anything to have an appearance of success. Even lie. Even lie. And here's Jacob telling his dad, man, God has blessed me. That's why I'm so successful. And now again, there's nothing wrong in being successful. I believe God would want us to be successful. But here's the thing. God's definition of success is far different than our definition of success. That's the problem. We've made success all about bigger is better. 
We've made it all about the more money you have, the more homes you can get, the more you can accumulate, the more successful you can be. And yet when I look at some of those men that seemingly have so much, they seem to be so empty. We have men that will lose their health to gain their wealth. And then they'll try to use their wealth to regain their health. That can't be the answer. There's something wrong with that type of thinking. But we are so success-driven, so performance-orientated that we'll throw away our health, we'll throw away our marriages, we'll throw away just about anything in order to be, appear successful. And in the world in which we live, as long as your job is doing well, you are successful. You know one thing I love about ministry? It's one of the hardest things too, but it's the one thing I love. I can have a great church, but if I lose my marriage, I'm a failure. That's not true of any other vocation out there. In any other vocation, as long as you're bringing in the big dollars, you can be addicted to porn, you can have 27 wives, you can just be a mess physically, but all those things in ministry disqualify you. And there is a pressure that comes with that to some degree, but you know what? It's not a pressure that cripples me because I think it's a thing that's right. Because what is true success? Is success having a massive church but losing my wife? Is it having a massive church but losing my kids? Is it having a massive church but losing my health? That's not success. We've made it all that bigger is better and that's not where it's at. Healthy is best. That's why as a church, we've never had a goal by way of number that we want to reach as a church. Our goal has always been health. If we can stay healthy, we will grow because all healthy things grow. And that's why we're growing. The moment you make it about a number, we can get the number, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. But you know what? If you make the goal health, then I believe we can supersede any number that we've set our mind on. Because healthy things grow. It's not about numbers. It's about health. The health of your finances, the health of your relationships, the health of your marriage, the health of your children. You know, I've had arguments with some people as they they want to serve God and they feel like I'm holding them back because I hold them accountable in regards to their marriage. As if it's, we should just, 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 just overlook that area. But I can't do that because that's not where it's at. I remember having some pastor in my office some time ago and uh, he was asking all these questions, trying to work out the angle. And I just said, well, 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 stop a minute. I said, why do you think you're in my office? And he couldn't answer that question. He's like, I don't know, what do you mean? Why do you think I'm in your office? I said, why do you think I'm in your office? Uh, You're in my office. You're not in my office for you to get ahead or for me to get ahead in life. This isn't a strategy here. This isn't a strategic meeting, which he was a bit confused about. I said, you're in my office because I like you. He was like, wow. And the thought of being in a pastor's office just because I liked him, he reduced the tears. I'm thinking, how far have we drifted when people called pastors are leading other people and they don't get it yet? There's something so wrong with the way we view identity, relationships, marriage. 
And for me, sharing this subject, I just want to see us have a breakthrough. I thank God that I belong to a house where I had a secure man in my dad that could see beyond the performance way of thinking and was able to tap into God's way of thinking as regards the destiny of his sons. See, the Bible says, train a child in the way that he should go. And I never forget, just before we had kids, and I, I, Kath was pregnant with our first one, and I get around all these people who had kids, and I say, how do you know how to steer them? And the answer that came back to me, it becomes quite apparent. And as our kids are getting that little bit older, it's become very apparent which way they have a leaning. That's what the Bible says. Train a child in the way which they should go. It's actually talking about an archer that looks for a piece of wood with a natural bend in it that he wants to cut down and use as a bow. He doesn't look for the straight one. He looks for one with a, with a natural bend. Your children are bent a certain way. As parents, it's our job to find out which way they're bent by God and show them that way to go. It's not for you to get that natural bend and say, I want you to be a lawyer when they're creative. I say that because a friend of ours did the whole law thing, was miserable. All they ever wanted to do is just own a ladies' boutique shop. But their parents wouldn't let them do that. And I wonder how many people out there that are doing these high-end jobs, getting the praise of men, but inside they're miserable. Because on this rat race called success, performance, when I was 11 years of age, I stood before Dad watching him sign writing, which is almost like a dying art these days. And I used to be fascinated because I've always had this creative bent. And I never think, I, was, I, I thought I was younger. Dad says I was 11. I'll take his word for it. 11 years old, I said, Dad, when I'm older, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do that. And he thought, that's nice, son. I mean, what father wouldn't want them to follow in their dad's footsteps? But he honestly thought I'd change my mind a thousand times, but I never did. I just knew I wanted to do that. And so when the age came to get out of school, I was gone. There were other voices saying, no, you should finish. You should do year 12. You should have something to fall back on, this, that, and the other. But I think Dad was able to say, no, no, there's a natural leaning here. And he silenced all the other voices by saying, no, this is right for him. The other two brothers, they did year 12. That's why they're so much smarter than me. But for what God was calling me to do, that's what I needed to do. Can I say to your parents, those of your children that need to do tertiary education to further their career based on what God has called them to do, do it. But don't make them do it if it's not their thing. Don't let your children bring worth to your parenting because of what they've achieved. When I was 12 years of age, I got caught shoplifting. And I know I've told the story many times before, but something took place in my heart that kind of set me up for this talk today. I was 12 years of age, got caught shoplifting. Mum was distraught, as you can imagine. And she said those famous words, wait till your father gets home. But that was like hours later, so I had all day to beat myself up. And I was, I was, I was a mess. 
Dad comes home. He could see that there was something not right. He asked, what's going on? I had to tell him that I'd been caught shoplifting. Took a packet of bubble gum, 25 cents. Just took it. And Dad, being able to assess the situation, said these words. Tony, I thought I was going to cop it. My friend said, we won't see you ever again. And he said, Tony, you should have been quicker. <laughs> what I remember at that moment, which was so powerful, is this, that my dad refused to tell me off based upon how I made him look. But he gave me what I needed. And at that moment, I didn't need discipline. I'd beat myself up more than he could ever do. I needed love, acceptance. And that's what I got. I think sometimes as parents, we tell our kids off, not, and we don't give them what they need. We tell them off because of how they've made us look. Don't you know people will be talking bad about me? Hey, I tell you what, I imagine that at that moment, as word got around that Keith Rainbow's son is a shoplifter, it didn't reflect well on him, but he didn't give us stuff. Because his identity is not wrapped up on what people think. And the trouble is, many of you, it is. And that's your problem. You worry too much about what people think. And so you don't give the advice, the love, and the acceptance of people that is needed because you're too busy worried how that will reflect on you. I know we become a target when we open this church up with alcohol. I know that. But I don't give us stuff. Because I'm not here to impress religious people. We're here to reach hurting, broken people. That's why we're here. I'm not here to offend unnecessarily. I'm not here to make a statement. We're just here to help. And I think this is one thing that is going some ways to helping. That's it. That's why. But to make these tough calls, to make these dangerous, risky calls, you've got to be secure in who you are. We would not be doing what we're doing as a church if I worried or Pete was worried about what everyone thought all the time. This is a test we must pass. This success thing is robbing us of becoming who we're meant to be. Kath gets this all the time. What's it like to be a pastor's wife? I don't even know what a pastor's wife is. And yet it's so big in some people's thinking. Kath's not a pastor's wife. She's a child of God who happened to marry me. And I'm a pastor. What does a pastor's wife do? That can vary and change. But she's refused to allow people to put pressure on her as to what a pastor or pastor's wife should be doing. I never forget hearing a story of a pastor's wife that was phoned up to speak to the pastor to do a conference. And the pastor's wife said, uh, he would love to, but I know that date is no good, so he won't be able to do it. I'm on a phone, can you tell? Um, <laughs> and so the person said, oh, well, if your husband can't do it, would you do it? Assuming, because she's a pastor's wife, she can also preach. But just because you're a pastor's wife doesn't mean you can preach. And so she said, let me ask you something. If you needed a plumber, 
and you phoned the plumber and he couldn't come out, would you ask his wife to come and fix your plumbing? That's a secure woman. That's a woman who, who knows who she is and refuses to allow other people to dictate who she is and ultimately what she should do. So thank you very much, but no, I can't speak. I know there's something going on inside of you right now. You say, I'd love to live like that. Well, you can. You can. But it starts with you identifying these four areas, which we haven't even got to the fourth one, and the fourth one is this, the past. The past. Because of Jacob's deceptive ways, he fled from his brother because his brother wanted to kill him. Some 20-odd years go by, and now he wants to return home. And he's freaking out at the thought of meeting his brother. For 20 years, he's thought a certain way because of his past. For some of you, certain things have happened in the past, and it's robbing you of your present, and it's ultimately robbing you of your future. The past is the past. Maybe your past is shouting at you that you're an alcoholic, that you're, you've suffered with anorexia, that you've been sexually abused. But I want to shout even louder and say this, that your past is not who you are. Your past is just the past. It's not who you are. And that's why I love Jesus. Because he was able to look beyond all the superficial nonsense that was in and around most of the accusations that came his way. For example, when a woman was caught in the act of adultery. Hey, hello, I didn't know a woman could be caught in the act of adultery by herself. Where's the guy? And Jesus is not saying she didn't do it. He knows she was guilty. But he extends a hand of love. And he says to all those around, he says, okay, stone her, kill her. But if you've got no sin, you can be the only one who can throw a stone. And it says the oldest to youngest, they left until it was just Jesus and the woman. We've all got a past. And sometimes we just like to glorify other people's past. It's a little bit worse than ours, just to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But it's still a past. And only Jesus can deal with our past. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I am the least of all the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul went around killing Christians. He says, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. Can we have our band please come? Four areas that are going to rob you. We started with the illustration of identity theft. People rummaging through your garbage to get personal information about you. That's what the thief comes to do. Find out things about you. That's why he's like telling you. 
You, you, don't have to, you don't have to Google me to find out what sinister things. I tell you every week. I, I got caught shoplifting. I've done this. I just tell you. Because it's not who I am. And if you're shocked that a guy like me could ultimately lead a church, then you're no more shocked than me. I think it's the biggest joke in heaven. But I think I represent something of what God wants to do in his people. And that's to give you a second chance. And for some of you to embrace what I'm sharing today, you're going to have to forgive others. And some of you are just going to have to forgive yourselves. When I talk about my past, I'm not glorifying the things that I've done wrong. I'm glorifying the goodness of our God that has saved me. Open my eyes to the foolishness of my ways. Give me strength to leave and live a new life. We're going to get into a whole heap of things about who we are next week and the week after that. But I can't start there. You know, when there's a site that's got some demolition, you take what's happened in Christchurch recently, you can't just build on top of a disaster zone. You've got to dismantle first. And I feel before we could start building with some of you, we need to dismantle some things. We need to pinpoint some of the areas that have robbed us of who we are. Maybe it's an overbearing, manipulative person in your life that's trying to force you into a way of living. Maybe you are that person. But there's forgiveness at the cross. There's a new start at the cross. Maybe it's your past. You can't forgive somebody what they've done or you can't forgive yourself and what you've done. There's forgiveness and wholeness and newness at the cross. Maybe it's in the area of success. What is success by God's definition? It's finding Him and serving Him according to who He made you to be. See, the body is made up of many parts, but they don't all have the same function, but they are part of the body. The little finger has a purpose that the little toe doesn't. What a disaster my body would be if it tried to be a little toe What a disaster my body would be if every part of my being wanted to be a leg. It's ridiculous. But that's what God thinks when we try to be a lawyer when he wants us to be a sign writer. There might be more money in certain jobs. There might be more prestige in certain jobs. I mean, there's certainly more prestige in a face than a little toe. But it's just the way it is. And a secure little toe won't worry about that and just get on with doing what it's been called to do. I'm not here promising prosperity for everyone. I'm here promising life with a capital L when we surrender to these areas. In this church, I'm one of the pastors. I've never asked anybody to call me Pastor Tony because I don't believe that my job description is any more important than your job description. Why should what I do be elevated above what you do? 
Here's the deal. If you want to call me by my title, then I will find a title for you and call you by that. Because we're all even. We're all equal in God's sight. Different functions. Paul understood this. Every letter he wrote, he says, I am Paul, an apostle. He never says, Apostle Paul here. He says, I'm Paul. This is what I do. And he never confuses who he is with what he does. I'm Tony, one of the pastors here, simple as that. I'm the leader of our team of leaders, granted. But I don't need a title. I'm not here to argue other churches that see it differently. I'm saying our house, our culture, this is the way it is. I don't like what titles breed. If you're a CEO, God bless you. I want to know your name. Because that's who you are. And some of us have been called things that we're not. The story of Jacob goes on that he had a name change. He had an encounter with God and God said, from now on you will not be called Jacob, you'll be called Israel. We see that happen with Paul, he was Saul to Paul. We see that with Peter, he was Simon and he was transformed to Peter. People have been calling you things, but it's not who you are. They've been calling you idiot, stupid, dumb, fat, tall, thin. You know, I get the sentiment behind Ranger. I get it when it comes to red-headed people. I just don't like it. To say someone's a monkey, I just don't like it personally. I just don't like it. Maybe you're saying I'm going a bit too deep. I don't know. I, I like to have fun. But I think it can start wearing on people's identities. We're, we're not monkeys. We didn't come from monkeys. God created monkeys, yes. But then he created the pinnacle of all his creation, human beings. Unlinked, unattached to the animal kingdom. We're not part of the animal kingdom. We're not. I don't care what your school told you. We're not part of the animal kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the living God created in his image. We are the apple of his eye. Will you please stand with me? I'd love us to do something a little bit different. We're going to break bread right now. That's just simply a time where we come around and remember the Lord's death. The Bible didn't say remember his birth, make a big deal of Christmas. It actually says remember his death because it's in his death and what he did at his death that's the most powerful. And in taking this cup, in taking this bread, we're acknowledging that Jesus is the one who is sufficient. We're acknowledging that we are insufficient, but he is sufficient. We're acknowledging that we lack, but he does not lack. And in your own time, I'd love for you to take the cup this morning. I'd love for you to take the bread. And I'd love for you to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. And I'm believing that restoration and wholeness and healing can take place. Not as we focus on our circumstance, but as we focus on this incredible man. His name is Jesus. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.